It's good to have Matt back, and particularly having Sarah back as well, and the, her, their kids. As he was praying, I was thinking about really what uh, this last series is all about. It's all about being prepared to speak for God, and as Paul was praying that prayer uh, uh, for the Colossians and asking them to pray, pray for him, he was, he was thinking about speaking before he was speaking. He was thinking so much about what he ought to think about before he spoke. He asked people to pray about him thinking about what he ought to think about before he spoke. And really, this is what this series is all about. We want, we want us all to be thinking about what could we say, what would we say, and how would we respond to anybody who might ask us a question about what we're saying, particularly about that which we are convinced is the most important subject, most important person in this world, which is God. And so uh, this is something that we want to be prepared for. And so this is our series. There really are reasons for hope. And as we've gone through this series, it has been a series in which for many of you have been challenged to kind of think through some of the things we had to say. But anyway, I came up, uh, there, in our culture today, there's all kinds of lists. Uh, if you go on Yahoo News, it's top ten of this and top ten of this. And, and so there were some things I, I read about recently, things to think about. And I thought we'd start out this uh, message this way. Um, which letter is silent, think about this, in the word sent, S-C-E-N-T? Is it the S or the C? Uh, and then think about this. Do twins ever realize that one of them is unplanned? Ooh, that's kind of... Um, uh, or how about this? What, what if my dog only brings back the ball because he thinks I like throwing it? And then uh, this one kind of relates to at least a comment by one of the, those who, who really don't think we ought to be thinking that there really is a God. If poison is past its expiration date, is it more poisonous or is it no longer poisonous? Think about that for a moment. You know, there's all kinds of things that can make us think, and sometimes uh, they cause us just to chuckle. Sometimes they think, uh, well, why did they even ask that question? But really, as you think about our series, there really are reasons for hope. When things are going well, you don't really think about that too much. But when things go wrong, then it becomes pretty high on your priority list to think through, well, what can I do to get through the day, the week, the month, the next years? Um, last week, there was a article in the New York Times, and it said, surviving the death of my son after the death of my faith. And just the first few lines was this, I, I had lost the one thing that could have numbed my pain. Several years after leaving my faith, I felt sure I'd encountered all the situations I might possibly need to get used to it in my new life. In fact, uh, maybe I don't need my faith. I can, I can survive without it. What I had not prepared myself for was death. Grief without faith, which is to say death without hope. And in this article, the, the writer speaks about the death of her son, her young son, and what she went through in trying to figure out, well, how, how do I get through this? If there is nothing beyond this life, if there's no one in this life to give me strength in the midst of going through this immense pain, th then what, what am I going to do? And Christopher Hitchkin says that what, what religion does or a faith in God does, it really poisons everything, no matter what the expiration date is. But people go through real life, and when they're encountering life, they realize once they, once they have no faith, what do they hold on to? Now, we would all want it to be true, and, and this is something that we'd all want to believe in God, whether he was there or not, but we're not here to have you have faith in that which you hope might be true. But we want to convince you that it is true, and this is the message we can give to others, that, that God has a plan for everyone's life, and He desperately loves each one of us, and he, he wants us to give us hope in a world that's broken. 
And this world will be made new when he comes again. But while it's broken, he is the one who's promised he'll never leave us or forsake us, but will always be with us no matter what we're going through. But it does beg the question, and it causes us to think, well, are there really reasons to have confidence that our future is settled when we're in God's hands? That, that we have confidence now, but even more so in the future, because there is a God who cares about us and loves us. Are there really reasons for hope? Well, the Bible claims that's true and available in Romans 15, 13. In your outline, you might want to look at that. It'll try to keep me online this morning. Uh, now may the God of hope, and a lot of names for God in the Bible. It's a big book. Uh, one, of, one of the names for God is He's the God of hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what we're talking about today and over the last number of weeks, and we can close our series today, is that, that you can have a confidence of what's going on in your life, and particularly as you look into the future, that, that God has it settled in His plans for you if you put your trust in Him. And, and the byproduct of that is that you can experience peace in the midst of the storm, you can have joy in the midst of sorrow, and, and you can realize that He is there for you always uh, by believing that He lives within you through His Spirit Who's, who has been given to you as a gift when you've come to know him. Well, what we've done in this series is to really try to an, answer one question, and then we're going to answer the second question today. Is there really a God? Are, are we believing in some mythological being that people have invented for the purpose of having positive thoughts about what's going on in their life? Or is it really true there is a God? And uh, we've gone through a variety of ways to try to answer that. And I'm not going to repreach the last six weeks of sermons, but I, I want to just review or by just making this comment, we've approached it, first of all, is there a God? We haven't talked about how much he's knowable or has he revealed himself clearly, but uh, in terms of making a step of faith, in terms of putting your trust in someone specifically as your God, but is there a supreme being? Is there, is there a God who's created everything? And we've put it in this form, are there crimes we commit intellectually when we refuse to believe in God. As we think about the, the options, one option is you are a fool if you believe in God, or as the Bible puts it and turns it around, a fool has said in his heart there is no God. And if there is a God, what's the, what are the things we commit intellectually that is suicidal in terms of our relationship with God if we, we deny the things that God has revealed? And so we've looked at six. Consider creation, consider reason, consider information, consider morality, consider evil, and consider science. And we went through all those things, and uh, we're not going to relook at them today. But I'm convinced if you just step back, no matter where you've come in your spiritual journey, and maybe you're still on that, and you're trying to consider, well, is it, is it feasible, is it reasonable, is it rational to believe there's a supreme being that brought all this into existence? And uh, to me, it's just overwhelmingly much more easy to believe that everything that we experience and have seen and have didn't happen by chance, but it happened by design. And there was a creator being that brought it all into existence. But really that begs the question, okay, so, so there's a God out there. Is he knowable and has he revealed himself in a way that we could know him? And that's why we're going to deal all of the rest of our time to, to today about not is there really a God, but is Jesus really God? 
And, and that's the one you need to step back with, and particularly if you are a Christ follower. Th- th- this is really the question you want to get to in terms of how you explain what you believe and, and why you believe it. And what we've been trying to do in this series is talk not only what we ought to believe, there is a God, but why we ought to believe there is a God. And then we could get to this point, well, how do we share that with someone else? Well, we all, all need to focus on, well, how has he revealed himself clearly so we're not mistaken about who he is? And so what I want to do today is really pose it. There's so much we could say about this. This could be a series in and of itself. And in many ways, when we go through the Bible, it speaks of this all the time. But what would be some reasons you could share with someone is why you believe Jesus is God? And here, here's five I would get. Number one, that Jesus claimed to be God. And at that point, you might say, well, that, that doesn't count. Well, as we think about the world religions, as we really expose ourselves to them, uh, the world religious leaders didn't claim to be God. But Jesus claimed to be God. Secondly, well, is there anything that he has left footprints in the sand or throughout history that have demonstrated that he has validity to his claim? And then the second thing we'll talk about, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies concerning the one, at least the Bible said, was coming that would be God. So he, he fulfilled prophecies. And what that would do, it would eliminate anyone else who didn't fulfill those prophecies. I could say I claim to be God, but you could look at my track record, my historical experience, and I wouldn't meet that particular um, trail that would lead you to conclude, well, yeah, he has some reason to believe he's God because look at all the things he fulfilled that was in the past and now were fulfilled uniquely in his present. And then we're going to look at Jesus meets all the qualifications of God, and, and that really speaks about if God became a man, then what would he be like? Fourthly, we'll look at Jesus changing lives, and then fifthly, we'll look at Jesus rose permanently from the dead. And I, I, I'll throw in the word permanently because his uniqueness in terms of rising from the dead. So let's look at that this morning. Are you ready to plow through this question? Is Jesus really God? And we looked at creation, reason, information, morality, evil, and science. Today we're going to look at, is Jesus really God? And we're going to start at the beginning, which is always a good place to, to begin. Would you agree? It's always, always good to start where you, you ought to go. You ought, you ought to get to first base before you get to second base, third base, and hopefully home. And, and it really begins here. Who is Jesus? And Jesus thought that was such a great question, he asked his disciples that. Well, who, who do men say that I am? And that's one thing. Well, what, what do other people say about Jesus? But then he got it personal. And, and hopefully you see all, all that is in this book really gets down to how you're going to connect with it personally. And then he got to his disciples, his followers, and said, well, who do you say that I am? And that really is at the heart of everything that, that Jesus said and did and is. And it begins with, who is Jesus? Is Jesus really God? And, and did he really claim to be God? Now, if you're familiar at all with, with people who distrust this book, who don't believe what's in this book, and then in, as they read it, they say, well, I don't get the same thing out of this book that you get out of it. Uh, many of them will say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, I- is that really true? Now, if you have your Bibles, we'll, we'll race through a few passages this, this morning. John, so find the Gospel of John and, and turn to a couple passages, or two or three passages. In John chapter 5, verse 17... We have uh, Jesus speaking. He says, But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. Now, if you just isolate that, you'd say, Well, you know, I've had a dad, and my dad used to work, and and then I started working too. Well, what's the big point here? 
But when he made that statement, particularly in a spiritual context, when he said, my father, they weren't, he knew, they knew he wasn't talking about the physical father. Uh, they were referring to the heavenly father. And he didn't say our father or, or the father. He said, my father. They responded to that. In verse 18 of John chapter 5, it says this. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Now, that, that's a pretty volatile response. Would you agree? I mean, there are all kinds of things I say that, that people go, oh, what in the world? did he? Why, why did he say that, you know? Uh, but I haven't had at least one time anybody pick up a stone and try to kill me because I said something foolish or silly. But for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, Jesus, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, which is the, the context of the statement, but also was calling God his own father, and this is their conclusion, making himself equal with God. Now, for those who, who would debate about whether Jesus ever claimed to be God, what they have to say at this point is, well, I know more than what the people knew back then when Jesus made his statement. Now, we, we can all interpret things that other people have said when we weren't there, but the people who, who were there and saw the, the, every, the context and the inflection and everything else, they're better interpreters of what was actually said and meant by what was said. And what they saw very definitively, what Jesus meant by what he said was, I am God. I'm equal with the Father. And so to say that Jesus never claimed to be God, that's just silliness. But let's look at another passage. Look at John chapter 10, verses 29 through 33. And we're not dealing with all of them. He took the Old Testament name for God in John chapter 8. Before Abraham was born, I am, I'm Jehovah, I'm Yahweh. But we won't talk about that one. Okay, John chapter 10, verse 29. He goes, My Father, who has given them to me, a greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So he's glorifying God the Father. And then he simply says, and the fa- I and the Father are one. Now, again, you say, well, he was just talking about, uh, you know, we're, you know we're, we're together. You know, he puts the two fingers together. Or we're, we have the same purpose. We're unified. But really, that was not the interpretation of the people who heard that statement at that time. In verse 31, it says, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And, and Jesus answered them, I, I showed you many good works. He did the miraculous. From the Father, from which, of you are, from which of them are you stoning me for? And the Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, which is word seeking evil, speaking evil of God. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be who? God. John chapter 14. Eight nine, a great context, but we'll just get to the point. Uh, Philip said to him, "This is right after Jesus said, I and the Father uh, I, I, um, are one.' But then he goes on in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me.' And Philip says, oh, Lord, show us the way. It's enough for us.' So he was confused about this way. You're the way. What are you, what are you talking about? If you if you'll just somehow do something again miraculous and show us God the Father, we'll we'll be on we on board completely. And Jesus said to him, "Have you been so long? Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How how can, how can you say, show me the Father? 
So as, as clear as you could put it, Jesus claimed to be God. Now, that doesn't mean he was God. That's a whole other point. But you can't be that which you don't claim to be. I mean, he, he would have been somehow uh, misguided if he didn't understand who he really was. Jesus claimed to be God. Now, as we put this in the whole context of, well, is there a God? And we've hopefully given some reason, rationale to say, well, no, there's got to be a creator being that has got everything and then all this complexity and diversity uh, into existence. Our, our own our self-awareness, our personality, our, the, our self-consciousness, where did that come from? But is, there, is that kind of God knowable? Has he revealed himself? Well, the Bible says that he has fully revealed himself in Jesus. But for that to be true, we'd have to claim to be God. And there are basically two other alternatives as far as Jesus being God. One is that he wasn't, and there isn't a God. And then the other choice is, well, there's other gods out there. Why don't we just put our faith and trust in them? Well, uh, as you think about that for a moment... Look at, look at the, your options. You know, Buddha never claimed to be God. And as he looks at um, Jesus, he, they don't think Jesus was God, just some kind of enlightened being. So Buddhism doesn't have a, a, a God that claimed to be God, a person who claimed to be Hinduism has many gods. Is, the, the Islamic faith, they, they see Jesus as a prophet, but Muhammad never claimed to be God. And then you have Scientology, and Scientology teaches that Jesus was an implant forced on Thetan about, about a million years ago. And, and uh, L. Ron Hubbard, well, we won't get into L. Ron Hubbard, but if you go into L. Ron Hubbard, it's a, it's a strange journey for anyone to put their faith in whatever he wrote, whatever he had to say. Uh, but then if you have even those who use the Bible, Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they don't claim that, that Jesus was God, that he was merely the archangel Michael, a created being that became a man. As you look at the Mormons, the Mormons have a strange story, but they, they really see that Jesus was one of many gods, and that he was a, actually a polygamist and a half-brother of Lucifer. And so as you look at it, you, you have what's called the Christian cults who take Jesus and and bring him down quite a few notches. He, he might have been a spiritual being, but he truly wasn't God. And, and then you look at the world religions, whether it's Buddhism or Hinduism or the Islamic faith, and, and they don't have anyone in the flesh claiming to be God and revealing God completely and fully. They, they have their religious practices, but, but they, have, they have no one like Jesus who came and said, I am God, and now you make the choice. Am I... Am I speaking truth or am I some other alternative that you have to explain who and what I am? C.S. Lewis put it this way. As you examine Jesus, really, as you look at all that he said and then all that he did and all he said would happen as a result of his death and what would happen after his death. Either he is some great legend of, of history or he's a liar or he's a lunatic. He's a crazy man, or he really is the Lord who came to unveil God completely and rescue us who are so desperately 
drowning in our own selfish sin. Jesus claimed to be God, and either he was or he wasn't. But he did not leave us the option to say he was just a, a good man that had some good moral advice for people to, to follow after. So why, why would we believe that Jesus really is God? Number one, he claimed to be, unlike any other religious, world religious leaders that we have in history, and, 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 and those who have taken the Bible and, and somehow twisted in their own approach to it have diminished Jesus. But Jesus clearly claimed to be God. Well, did he somehow back that up? Because it was true, not in a manipulative way, but in a truthful way. Well, the second thing I would say is that Jesus fulfilled prophecies. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law or everything that had been taught in the Old Testament. I came to fulfill it. Well, did he fulfill it? Well, here again, it could be a whole series of messages of all the prophecies that he did fulfill and said he would fulfill in the future. But Peter Stoner, who was a mathematician a number of years ago, he took just eight of the major prophecies, and you can look at the major prophecies, you know, between 40 and 60, there are over 300 prophecies related to Christ. But if you just took eight of the prophecies, and this, these are the eight that he uh, listed, he said, that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. In other words, Jesus would have to meet the qualification of a specific place to be born at. He would be preceded by a messenger that someone would come before him and proclaim his way before he came. And there was a guy named John the, John the, John the Baptist. Okay, uh, He would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, not on some white stallion. He would be betrayed by a friend and his hands and feet pierced. His betrayer would be given 30 pieces of silver. The betrayal money would be thrown into the house of God and used to buy a potter's field. He would be silent before his accusers. His hands and feet would be pierced and he would die accounted among criminals. Now some, would, some have said, well see, Jesus just manipulated all those things. Well, um, you, you, I don't know about you, but I couldn't tell my parents, you know, what hospital or what city I was going to be born in. And, and not only that, you know, it, it, you know my death, I, you know, I haven't died yet, but, you know, there's only certain things unless I take my own life or pay someone else to take my life. I, I you know, I don't know how I'm going to die. And, and then even as he was put on the cross, the, the Roman powers that were B, you know, they didn't, they didn't give him a, a, a list of things he wanted and who he wanted to be crucified with. And as you look at all those things, to, to say that Jesus manipulated the details of all that happened in his life is just foolishness. Well, Peter Stoner says, just take those eight, not, not the, the 60 major prophecies or the, the 300 prophecies related to Christ. Just take those eight. What, what's, what's the probability of those happening just by chance? And he says it's one to the 10 to the 17th power. I've shared this with you many times, but one of the 17th power, what does that really look like? Well, you, you take the state of Texas. In fact, if you like the state of Texas, you can take it. No, if you, you take the state of Texas, all right, and, and fill the state of Texas with silver dollars, 10 to the 17th power. Well, what would that do in the state of Texas? You would take the, that, that state, and the number of silver dollars you would have to fulfill, fill the state of Texas with would, would cover the state of Texas two feet deep all over that state. But on one of those silver dollars, you mark one of them with an X. Then you take a bulldozer and you, you mix up all the silver dollars. And then you blindfold somebody and say, okay, you got one chance to find the right silver dollar to fulfill all that was fulfilled in the life of Jesus, just part of what he went through. 
So as you think about why we could say that we believe that Jesus truly is God, it's because, number one, he claimed to be God. I'm not going to make a claim for him that he doesn't make for himself. Secondly, we would say that he, he left footprints in, in history where he fulfilled the prophecies in the Old Testament in this detail. And we, we just touched on one scenario of those prophecies that came to be true. And so I, as we think about it, well, if, if I had uh, you know, to, to make a wager and I had the probability on my side of 1 to 10 to 17th power, I might make that wager. Does it mean Jesus was God? No, but it sure, sure brings up the reality and the probability he was. But then one of the things that was really convincing me as a young person, I came to know Jesus when I was really young. And, as I, and I'd hear the stories. I'd, I'd, I'd go to vacation Bible school. I would, I would see the flannel grass. How many ever saw flannel grass when you were going to church? Okay, I always liked that. You know. Anyway, so... It, and you'd hear about Jesus, and you'd hear about Jesus' love. And then I, w- I would go to church, and I, I would see people of all ages and all races, and, and they loved one another. And I thought, what, what, are, what do these people have in common? Well, they, they come to the same church, but what, what, is, it, what is it that is the, the, the common denominator? Well, they believe in Jesus. And, 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 and so I saw in people's lives. But, but what, what I particularly was impressed with is, is I heard the story of Jesus and began to think about, thinking about God and think about life and and think about what happens after this life is over. And, and I began to ask myself the question, if, if what Jesus had to say was true, I, I wanted in on it. I mean, who wants to pass that up? You know, for God so loved the world, he, he so loved me, that he, he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And, and I, you know, I began thinking, about well, what happens to me when I die? And how, how do I know I'm going to have life? And, and, and they, they say Jesus, and I read about Jesus saying, well, yeah, I can have life in him. Well, why would I believe it? Well, you know, I, I, I was young. I didn't have a whole lot of things to read at that point. But I, I remember just simply thinking, well, if, if this is true, well, then, then, then Jesus would have to be God. And if, if, he is, if he is God, well, why would I believe in him? And, and I, I probably didn't phrase it exactly like this, but it was like, if, if God became a man, then what would he be like? And, and I began to be convinced that he would be just like Jesus. That, that, that Jesus would, would be just like a God who loved us and, and wanted us to know him clearly and not be mistaken. It would be just like Jesus. And in what ways? Well, well, somehow he would enter into this life in somewhat of a miraculous way, right? And even at that age, I, I understood the Christmas story that Jesus was born of a virgin. Well, well, no one is born of a virgin. How did that happen? Well, it happened, had to happen miraculously. Well, if God were entering into history, it would be in a miraculous way, and that's how he came. And then if he were, was here, his life would be distinct from everybody else. He, he, he would live a, a life that was sinless, that, that he never did that which was wrong. He, he, he never had to be disciplined for his misbehavior. And then even more so as an adult, no one could point a finger at him and, and call him guilty for what he had done or what he had said. Or, and, and there might be people who would oppose him, but, but no one could convict him of anything that was wrong. And so if, if God would become a man, he would... Come in a miraculous way, he, 
He would be sinless. But not only that would he be sinless, he would, he would show what God really was by his life, but he would be able to do the miraculous. And Jesus made that very plain when, when he would do things. It wasn't, it wasn't to be a, some great magician and gather a crowd, but he did things to, to point to who he was. In John chapter 20, it says in verses 30 and 31, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples. And the word for signs speaks of miracles, and it's called a sign because it, it points to give out information. When Jesus did the miraculous, he did it so that people would know who he was. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so Jesus would be the one who would come in a miraculous way. He would live a miraculous life because <laughs> he, he would speak like no one else would speak. He would live like no one else had lived. And when he spoke, Everyone listened because he had the words of life. And not only the miraculous could he do, but then he would leave this place in a way like no one else had left because he would die and then raise from the dead. And so as you think about if God were to reveal himself, how would he reveal himself most clearly and pointedly? He would become a man and live among us. And share the words of hope and love and life. And authenticate everything he said by who he was and what he did. And what he accomplished in other people's lives. So why would I believe that Jesus is God? Well, number one is he claimed to be God. Number two, he would fulfill the prophecies in the Old Testament predicting the one who was to come. And he did it in its most minute detail. Thirdly, he would meet the qualifications. Fourthly, he would change lives. And, and this really is the story of the New Testament in that when Jesus came, he changed people's lives in so many different ways. In John chapter 9, you, you have the familiar story of the, the man who was born blind and, and he met Jesus and he, he gave him sight. And as soon as that miraculous healing happened, they, they were all filled with rage because now he was speaking about this miracle worker that they were trying to put down and he was lifting up and and they said, well, how, how can you, who, who has no training religiously, convince us that, that, that it was Jesus who did it? And that Jesus is, has that power to do it? And, and he said, very simply, all I can tell you is my changed life. I, I once was blind, but, but now I see. And if you read the rest of the story, Jesus did the physical healing, but then he took the next step, and then he did the spiritual healing. He brought salvation to him. He took away that which would permanently keep him away from God, which was his sin, and, and pointed him to, to the Savior. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. And, and this is why on, on Easter, as we were sharing the, the good news, the best news, which is Jesus risen from the dead, and, and when we spoke about it, part of that message was to bring up one, one of our people, uh, and it was Jeff who's in the second row today again. And, and really, what he shared was Jesus changes lives. And he changed them back then, and he still changes people today. And as we were sharing in this series, you know, some people believe, think that believing in God is like believing in the tooth fairy. Well, well, people believe it when they're young, but they don't believe it when they're older. 
But we have people throughout this worship center who have believed Jesus at all kinds of ages, and they still believe. Why? Because Jesus has changed people's lives that they know and that Jesus is still changing lives now. In fact, he's still changing their life. Why do we believe that Jesus is God? Because he claimed to be God. He fulfilled the prophecies related to the one who was to come, the one whom Isaiah said, Unto you a child will be born, and a son will be given, and his name will be called Emmanuel, but also Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And as we think about that's Jesus. Secondly, because he meets all the qualifications. If God were to become a man, then what, who would he be like? And you can go all, the, all to all the great r- world religions down through history. There is no one like Jesus. Jesus is, un- in the proper use of the term, unique. There is no one like Jesus because Jesus is God in the flesh. And he changes lives. And then fifthly, Jesus rose permanently from the dead. In Luke chapter 24, verse 6, it says, when, when they came to see him, the, the women, uh, they said, look at, the angel said, look at, he's not here. Indeed, he's risen from the dead. In, second, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17, Paul says, this is, this is the deciding factor in those who are wrestling. Is Jesus truly God? He said, look, if, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we among all people are most to be pitied because we're believing a lie. But if Jesus rose from the dead, this is the most convincing proof that Jesus is who he claimed to be. There's all kinds of ways that, that, that people will try to say it didn't happen. Part, part of what they'll say that, that this is just legend, whether it's urban legend or whatever legend, that this is just some great story in the past that this got embellished and embellished and embellished. But it just doesn't fit that pattern in so many different ways. As you think about the record about Jesus, and there's so many things I could refer to at this particular time, but Gary Habernes wrote this concerning just the the historical evidence related to Jesus. And as he, as he wrote this, he was just trying to be as clear as possible that this is the one who not only claimed to be Jesus uh, and claimed to be God, but history affirms it. We have examined a total of 45 ancient sources for the life of Jesus, which include 19 early creedal, 4 archaeological, 17 non-Christian, and 5 non-Christian non-New Testament Christian sources. From this data, we have enumerated 129 reported facts concerning the life, person, teachings, death, resurrection of Jesus. While some believe that we know almost nothing about Jesus from ancient non-New Testament sources, this is plainly not in the case. Which simply says that most people say, well, the reason you believe that Jesus would claim to be because it's in the Bible. Well, if you don't believe in the Bible, then why would you believe? Well, even if you take the Bible as it is an historical book, these were people who wrote this, that it's not just what the Bible has written affirming Jesus existed and did what he did, but there are so many other written sources that collaborate who Jesus is. 
So you can't just dismiss it because you think it's some kind of legend. So then you have to deal with, well, as you look at that which has been reported to have happened, what, what is the best explanation of what is reported to have happened? It's hard to deny that there was a Jesus. It's really impossible to do that intellectually. And it's hard to deny that this Jesus was, was put to death and put on a cross. It's, it's, it's impossible to deny that he was put in a grave. And then three days later, that grave was empty. Well, how, how, do, you, how do you explain it? Well, number one is, as we think about Jesus, is you look at why we believe it is true, that the tomb was empty three days later. Now, now, some would object to that and say, well, maybe they went to the wrong tomb or they couldn't find the right tomb. Some would say, well, maybe it was just myth that Joseph Arimathea put him in his own personal tomb and he was just thrown in a criminal's tomb, which if you go to Israel, you'll see there, there were, there's a place where they would just throw bodies and just bury them in mass. But as even you think about that, well, why about those who, who so f- were putting their hope that it's possible that he is the one who conquers death, that they would have been looking for that particular grave and finding that grave. And, and particularly all those who would oppose the message of Jesus, they would have wanted to, to have marked that grave so they could reproduce the body that was crucified on the cross. So as you think about how, how do we explain the historical record of a of a man named Jesus who claimed to be God, fulfilled the prophecies related to God, who met all the qualifications for God, who changed lives. How do, how do we respond to this, this, this Jesus dying? And then three days later, where he was buried is now empty. And, and then secondly, as you think about that, well, how, how do we, we sometimes, some way understand all those who, who now, who previously did not believe, now put their faith in Jesus. How, how do we explain that? So some, some people look back and say, well, the reason they believed in Jesus rose from the dead is because they were a primitive people. Well, if, you're, if you read the, read the Old Testament, the, this, doesn't, this doesn't read like primitive people. And, and when Jesus was here, you take all the reports, they were, they were not expecting Jesus to raise from the dead. This was not something they were expecting to happen. Everything within them would have resisted the experience they saw of Jesus coming from the dead. And you say, well, why do they believe? Because you look at all the appearances of Jesus after the, after the three days. It's one thing for someone to say, well, I think I saw Jesus. He looked like Jesus. But he appeared, at least in the biblical record, at least 13 times after he rose from the dead. To people in all kinds of places and all kinds of circumstances. Both genders. And then one particular time, 500 people saw him at the same time. And so as you look at the, at the resurrection, as you look at Jesus and why he rose permanently, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. That's one of the miraculous things he did. But Lazarus went back to the grave. Jesus went directly up to heaven. And then you think about how would you explain the church for the last 2,000 years? How did this myth, if it is a myth or a legend, can continue to be perpetuated when it was never spread through the power of the sword? There, there are some times where those who profess to know Christ did violent things, but the, the church was never spread by the sword. It was only spread by faith. 
And the people who put their faith in Jesus, particularly in that, those first two or three centuries, there was no gain for them to make that profession and commitment because they lost everything. You, you, you think about the most prevalent writer of the record in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. He, he was the greatest enemy of the cross and of Jesus. And then he became its greatest proponent. How do you explain that? How do you explain the life of the Apostle Paul apart from Jesus being who he claimed to be? Apart from Jesus fulfilling all that was prophesied concerning the one who was to come? How, how do you explain it apart from Jesus meeting every qualification you could think of about being God in the flesh? How do you explain not only Paul's change in life but everyone else's lives who were changed apart from Jesus raising from the dead? So what's the point this morning? The point, really, and this is how we began the, the service, is that as you think about this book and the message about God and the message about Jesus, th this is a message that gets intensely personal. Because as, as much as we care about family and friends and people that we know and, and, uh, and care about, it's, 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 it's not a decision, it's not a commitment, it's not a faith step that we can make for them. And, and as we think about it, as we hear the message, uh, there comes a point in all of our lives where I say, well, I, 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 I now know what's true, but am I willing to commit my, my life to the one who is true? And so I just want to finish our time together in the Word with simply an invitation for you to, to make that step. If, if you're not convinced where you are right now in relationship with God, I want you to know that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to rescue us from our own sin, to pay the penalty and then give the invitation. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And, and belief is not an intellectual sense, so I check that box, I think it's true. No, it's, it's a commitment of life. I'm putting my trust and my reliance upon Jesus to change my life, give me hope as I commit to give my life to him. Let's pray. Father, I pray for each one of us here this, this morning that, that we have made this message a personal message, that we have decided within our own life, where, where is my faith? Am I convinced there really is a God? And am I convinced that Jesus really is God? And if that is true, then I want to make that commitment completely and fully to Jesus. Dear Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person on the inside because truly you are God and died on the cross for me. And I want to live for you. As we pray that prayer and as we recommit ourselves to you, might we live for you because of what you've done for us. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.